Hey, while you're sitting down, if uh, you are wearing a green shirt because you are on our kids' uh, school year team or you forgot your green shirt, it doesn't matter. If you're serving our kids this fall, would you stand up, please? We want to thank God for you and honor you and pray for you. Yeah, stay, stay standing. Just receive the honor. Um, in the Gospels, it tells a story about how some parents, uh, specifically some moms, as it usually goes, uh, brought their kids to Jesus. Now, their kids, nothing was wrong with their kids. They weren't sick. Uh, they didn't need to be healed in any way. But they wanted Jesus to bless their children. And the disciples at first were like, no, 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 no. He doesn't do that kind of thing. And Jesus made it clear, this is exactly what I do. I bless children. It's my assumption that he has not stopped blessing children since that day, and he's going to use you to do that this fall. So we just want to say thank you for being his hands, his feet, his words, his way, his manner um, of blessing over our children. So thank you for how you're serving. I'm going to pray for you right now. God, we thank you for these men and women. We thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for their spiritual gifting. We thank you for their testimony. We pray you would use all three for your glory and for the good of our children. I pray that future generations of Bayou City members would be stronger than the current generations, that they would love you more fiercely. Their dedication would go deeper than their parents uh, have known. Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would do more for our children uh, than you would do in us. Um, so use these servants as you serve us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Put your hands together again for them. Thank them. There have been a lot of breakthroughs in technology, medicine, science in the last hundred years. None are greater, in my opinion, than Wikipedia. It's the best. I don't do anything in my life now without consulting Wikipedia. I hear a strange reference on television. I look it up on Wikipedia. I go and see a movie. After it's over, I get on Wikipedia. I want to know more about how the movie was made. I want to know more about the director. I want to know more about the actors. I love Wikipedia. I'm not saying that it's 100% accurate all the time, but it's good enough for me. If you consult Wikipedia a bunch, you know that sometimes when you log in there's a pop-up screen asking for money. Wikipedia is a nonprofit. That's why there's those advertisements. And they need money to host all of those pages and to do all the research, all those things that it needs. And it's asking to give money. Now, I have never given. I always think to myself, I hope someone is giving because I really love Wikipedia and I cannot imagine my life without it. But I have yet to give a dollar. There's a clear distinction between, in this situation, between talk and action. I'm saying the right things. This is really great. This is a benefit to me. This is a benefit to society, in my opinion, but I'm not willing to act on it. If we did a survey in Houston, Texas about Christians, I think they might say the same thing. Lots of talk. Very little action. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 20, I do want you to turn in your Bible because it won't be up on the screen. And it's not, the scriptures are not going to be on the screen for a few weeks here uh, for the foreseeable future for a real specific reason. You know, Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. So he has wired up something holy in the seeking after him. Um, and so I want to make sure that when we open up the word of God here, it it's not just a presentation. He doesn't say in the presentation 
you will find. He says in the seeking. And if actually opening up a Bible or pulling it out on your phone, if you looking it up, just even that little bit of seeking would make a difference in your personal faith. And I want to make sure that we have the opportunity. It doesn't mean that we'll always do that. But if you could bring your Bible with you next week, if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch out in the lobby we'd love to give you um, uh, or pull out your phone. I know the Wi-Fi signals uh, or the signal is not great in here, but we do have a Bayou City Fellowship dot com or uh, wi-fi option if you pull out your phone follow along so really turn to first corinthians chapter 4 verse 20 if you also want to turn to acts chapter 18 acts chapter 19 and james chapter 1 those are all places that we're going to be first corinthians chapter 4 verse 20 for the kingdom of god does not consist in talk but in power We've been doing a series about the kingdom of Jesus for the last few weeks. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You see in your listening guide that the Corinthians had a history of picking sides. And now they're wondering to themselves, can we trust Paul? The church in Corinth had a history of picking sides. And now they're wondering if the apostle Paul is trustworthy. In chapter 1, Paul addresses the four different groups that they've broken themselves up into and they're based on who their favorite teacher is. There's a group of Paul followers. There's a group of Peter followers. There's a group of Apollos followers and there's a group of Jesus followers. Now they're all Jesus followers. But the Paul followers were saying, you know, Paul is the one who brought the gospel to us. We didn't know about Jesus until he came into our town So we're loyal to him. We love his teaching. When he speaks, we listen. Another group of people said, we love Apollos. Apollos would be like the modern day pastor who's really great at Instagram. Uh, They they know the right thing to, to, to put out there every day. They take their sermon, they break it up into little clips and it just goes viral. They're really good at that. Apollos would have been really great at that thing. Where Paul was older, Apollos was young. He was a fresh voice. He was sort of new on the scene. He could relate to people really well. He was very eloquent, a great public speaker. The Apostle Paul, probably not the best public speaker, but Apollos thrived where Paul struggled. Then there was another group of people that said, no, we're taking it OG. We're going back to the original Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. He not only was one of the 12, he was the most faithful of the 12. Didn't get it perfect all the time, but he was bold. He was the one who preached the very first sermon about Jesus. We follow Peter. And then there were the very self-righteous people. I would think that I would be in this group. They're like, we don't follow any man. We follow Jesus. And the apostle Paul, he He says, all of you are wrong. There is no Paul group. There is no Peter group. There is no Apollos group. There is no self-righteous Jesus only group. We're all following Christ. Stop dividing among yourselves. In chapter four, he, he tells us that now new teachers have come in to Corinth. And their primary message is, are we sure that we can trust the apostle Paul? Because look at his ministry. He gets stoned, not drug stoned, like literally stoned. (laughs) He's been shipwrecked. He gets bitten by snakes. He gets beaten with rods. He gets thrown into prison. Now think about all the suffering that Paul has done. Are you really telling me that God has put his stamp of approval on this man? 
Surely God is not blessing him because if God was blessing him, then why would all these bad things keep happening to them? Are you sure that we can trust the apostle Paul? And the Corinthians are saying, "Ah, well, maybe we can't. They have this history of picking sides. Maybe, Maybe we can't trust him. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians. And, and that's the context in which he says the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. What he's saying to those false teachers is I am coming back to Corinth. That's his very next verse. And we will see. You will see the difference between my ministry and the ministry of these new teachers that are calling my service of Christ into question. The first thing that I want you to write down, you see it in your listening guide, the kingdom of God is more than words. The kingdom of God is more than words. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. The New English translation says the kingdom of God is not demonstrated in talk. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 53, God prophesies through Isaiah that Israel will be sent a savior, a messiah. Gives lots of descriptions about how the Savior is going to be born and about what he is going to be like. For 400 plus years, the Israelites talk about this Savior. They tell their children, they tell their children's children, they'd get together on the Sabbath, they would talk about this coming Messiah. For 400 plus years, they talk about the Savior. Jesus fulfills Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 53, plus a bunch of other prophecies perfectly. And when it came to the moment to actually do, they did nothing. They talked for 400 years. And when it came time for action, they did nothing. I was reading a study about atheists this week. A researcher was asking the question how they turned to atheism, why they made that decision in their life, and specifically what role their parents played in that. And the researcher had a hypothesis that they were raised in an environment that really gave them no specific instructions when it came to religion. So at the end of their childhood into adulthood, they just decided, I'm not going to have any religion whatsoever. What the researcher was surprised about was that was true for sure, but also what was true were many of these atheists had very vocal proponents of Christianity as parents, but the parents didn't actually back it up. They were all talk. They would go to church. They would say all the right things. They would say, this is very, very important to us, but it didn't inform the decisions that they actually made. So these children are growing up in homes and where they're hearing talk, talk, talk and no action. And so when they become adults, they said, well, None of that is for me. I get asked pretty consistently if my parents were pastors. And they were not. My mom has worked at a bank for my entire life. And my dad has been a mechanic for my entire life. And, uh, but they raised us in church. But what I appreciate about my parents is that they never pretended to be more than they were. They were honest about their strengths. They were honest about their commitments. And they were honest about their weaknesses. And so I was raised in a home where authenticity was a value. They never felt the need to put on their Sunday best. You've heard that phrase before? A long time ago, people used to get dressed up to church. Maybe some people do. We don't here. We just wake up and come to church. I'm kidding. You look great. But people used to wear ties. They used to wear dresses. 
put on their dress shoes. Some of you still do that, but that's not really a priority to us. But the idea is when we come, we present the best possible version of ourselves. And we don't do that literally, but I think we do that metaphorically. We put on our Sunday best about how much we read the scripture. We put on our Sunday best about how much we pray. We put on our Sunday best about how much we know. And really what we're doing, just like those people who used to dress up to go to church, we're exaggerating things that are sort of true, but not all the way true. Like everyone wears a suit, but not everyone wears a suit every day. But when you come to church, you bring the best of you. And so that has sunken in. We don't do it with our clothing, but we do it with everything else. We exaggerate parts of us. So we exaggerate how much we read the scripture. We exaggerate how much that scripture informs the decisions we make. We exaggerate how much we pray. And really what we're doing is we're exaggerating the parts that we do well to compensate for the parts that we know we do not do well. And then we add on top of it that we make everyone else feel guilty through our strengths. So the dad who does the nightly devo with his kids and they get down on their knees and pray, great thing, tells everybody about that. Not quite as honest about when he got back downstairs with his wife, they just screamed at one another the whole time. That didn't make the Twitter feed. For some of us, reading the scripture comes really naturally. You don't have to work at it. You're hungry for it. You, you just enjoy it. And somehow we find a way to let everybody know that. You know, when I was reading 1 Corinthians in the last hour, it reminded me of what I read in Philippians the hour before that. And we haven't prayed a meaningful prayer in years. Some of us are natural prayers. Just, we enjoy it. It feels authentic. It feels real. We're not 100% sure where our Bible is at the moment. But we're not honest about that. We just exaggerate our prayers to compensate for our weakness. We put on our Sunday best. And Paul says the kingdom of God does not consist of that. It is not about talk. This is what the Pharisees would do. The Pharisees would tithe on the spices in their garden. They would cut it up and bring a portion of it to the temple. And Jesus says to them, you're doing that, but you hate people. You're racist You show no mercy, you show no forgiveness, you only show judgment. So it's true that you're being faithful in your tithe, but you're being unfaithful in all these other areas. Same thing happened to the chief priests. If the Pharisees were the ones that pushed Jesus into Jerusalem to be crucified, it was the chief priests who dropped the hammer. And they paid Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, to to find him alone so that they could go and arrest Jesus in private. The priests were afraid of the crowds because Jesus was popular. His popularity would wane, but at this moment, he was pretty popular teaching in the temple every day. So Judas agreed, I'll take you to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. There won't be anybody around. You can arrest him, and then you can go through the charade of putting him through this trial. Well, Jesus is arrested 
He starts to be beaten. It looks like he's going to be sentenced to be crucified. And Judas starts having second thoughts and regrets. So he takes the 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priest and gives it to him. And they say, we don't want it. And he says, I don't care. Have it. And he leaves it with them. And then they have this dilemma because they can't put this blood money into the temple treasury because it will taint the temple's bank account. It will make it unclean. So in their mind, it was fine to have paid to have this man murdered. But God forbid anything unclean land in our bank account. It's just talk. And let me tell you, the world is not impressed with our talk. I think I've discovered a secret. We are the only ones that think we are putting on a good show. I think everybody you work with knows the truth about you. The only people that you lie to and convince consistently are the people that you go to church with. The world can see through our religious veneer right to the heart of us. They can see through our words and our words do not impress them. It's like in Exodus when God sends Moses to release the children of Israel from slavery at the hands of Pharaoh. Moses says, how am I going to appear before Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world? What am I going to do that's going to convince him? And God says, well, I'm going to do signs and wonders through you. So Moses goes and appears before Pharaoh. Sign number one, he throws his staff on the ground. It turns to a stake. Sign number two, Moses takes that staff, puts it in the Nile, turns to blood. Sign number three, Moses makes frogs come as a plague. Not cute little internet frogs, like real nasty frogs, just tormenting the land of Egypt. And what the scripture says about all three of those first signs is Pharaoh's magicians did all of them. Pharaoh's magicians took their staffs, threw them on the ground, and it turned into a snake. Pharaoh's uh, magicians took their staff, put it in water, it turned to blood. Pharaoh's magicians took their staff and made frogs appear as well. Which is a good warning for us not to mess around with idols. For example, Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. Some of our Bibles translate that as money. Mammon was a, there's a real spiritual being behind that. And if you are greedy, there is darkness there that is real. It's not just don't be stingy. Don't mess with idols. Those magicians were able to throw their staffs on the ground. Some dark force turned their staffs into snakes. So they weren't impressed by the first three miracles that Moses did. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 list the fruits of the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, we exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know, the people you work with can replicate a lot of that. Lots of people have joy. Lots of people are faithful. Lots of people have good marriages, even if they're not followers of Jesus. Lots of people are good. I have a grandma who doesn't follow Jesus. Best person I know. 
the world can replicate a lot of it, but just like Moses with the signs, at sign number four, when Moses took his staff and touched the dust and the dust turned to gnats, it says that the magicians were not able to do that. There is a point with Christ in which you have the ability to go further than everyone else. There is a goodness that you can show in this world that no one else can. There is a faithfulness that you have access to through the spirit of God that your friends do not. That's why words alone are not enough. There has to be action. I believe that's one of the reasons why God lets us suffer. Because it's in suffering that we find that other place. The kingdom of God is more than words. Number two, the kingdom of God is filled with power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. In Acts chapter 18, it tells the story of how the apostle Paul first came into Corinth. It says in verse 1, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a, a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Skip down to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with, uh, with Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sincre, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. So here's what Acts chapter 18 says. Paul came from Athens. Now we know from Acts chapter 17 that Athens was a difficult place to do ministry. In fact, Paul was met with apathy. He didn't he didn't even really have the joy of being outright rejected. He met with the Athenian philosophers at Mars Hill and they just shrugged their shoulders at his message. So he comes out of Athens on a low note, gets to Corinth, and it is a very difficult place to do ministry. He's alone. Uh, he doesn't have the financial means to just focus on the gospel. So he has to go and get a regular job. He was a tent maker. Luckily, he knew Priscilla and Aquila who were tent makers as well. It says that consistently he was reasoning with the Jewish people and the Gentile people about Jesus, how Jesus was the Christ, but the Jewish people were rejecting him. In fact, they were giving him a very difficult time. They were hating him because of his message. Some people believed, but then Jesus himself had to appear to Paul in a vision and says, don't be afraid. I've got lots of my followers here in this city. You are not alone. 
And he must have felt alone because in verse 18, it says when he goes to the next city, he gets a haircut because he was under a vow. That was a Nazarite vow that's mentioned in the Old Testament. It would be like our modern day. If, if, if you were really dealing with something difficult, you would say, I'm going to fast and pray. I'm just going to be so focused in this. I'm going to stop eating. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to just give all of my attention to this. I really need God to come through. That's how Paul was handling himself in Corinth. This is very difficult. And so I'm not going to eat these certain things. And one of the things I'm not going to do is cut my hair. I, I, was, I, was, I couldn't think of a bald joke right now. Um, <laughs> but I knew there was one there. Corinth was hard for him. And now, all these years later... The Corinthians are like, wow, I, don't, I don't know if we can trust Paul. I don't know if God has blessed his ministry. That's why when you read 1 Corinthians from beginning to end, you can see that Paul is hot. He's hostile. He's frustrated. Because he's poured himself out for them. And now they're not sure that they're going to listen to him. But he says to the the people I will come and you will see the difference between me and these new teachers that you've found for yourselves and James chapter 1 it says in verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James describes this as, if we're just going to be talkers, if we're just going to be hearers, if we're not going to actually do anything, it would be like going to look at yourself in the mirror, stepping away, and forgetting what you look like. Meaning, if your faith is just talk, You'll never know who you are fully in Christ. If your commitment to Jesus is just words, you can't fully understand what it means to be loved and adopted, a son, a daughter, forgiven, redeemed, called, chosen. James says it's in the doing that you're blessed. So if today you would be authentic and say, you know, there's no vitality to my relationship with Jesus. There's no life there. There's no energy there. There's no passion there. There's no zeal there. I'd encourage you to just pick one command and just do it. Forget the rest for just a second and just pick that one and be faithful in it. I was in a season like that. There was no life in my relationship with Christ. I believed Jesus was the Savior. I believed that God had sent him. I believed he was the Son of God. I believed he died on a cross and was raised from the dead. Everything else after that I didn't really care about. There was no energy, no passion, no heart. And I went to church and the pastor that particular Sunday was talking about making good decisions instead of bad decisions. Very simple. And at the end, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at giving my friends a hard time, making fun of them. And uh, it's a spiritual gift that I have. You know, they, uh, 
they leave the door open and I rush in there with a dig and there's really not any boundaries for me. Whatever is hilarious, I'm going to do it. And so at the end of the sermon, I thought, you know what, this week I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to hold my tongue. I didn't cry or anything. I mean, just, I thought this is, this is what I'm going to do. Monday, did my best. Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't think I did it perfectly, but I definitely tried to follow through. By Sunday, I was a completely different person. I look back to that one week in my life and say, if not for that week, I would not be the person that I am today. Because we're blessed in the doing. Not the intending, not the hoping, in the doing. This is the power that Paul is talking about. We would think it would be miracles. And when he was defending himself, God has put his stamp of approval on my life. He would list some miracles because Paul did some outrageous miracles. In Acts chapter 19, it says in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Paul was so anointed at this moment. If you just took something that had touched him back to a friend of yours who was sick, that person would be healed. If they were possessed by demons, those demons would be driven out just by having touched something Paul had touched. Now the Corinthians are giving him a hard time about the authenticity and accuracy and authority of his ministry. You would think that this is what he would reach to. Are any of you guys doing this? Are any of you anointed in this way? But when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he doesn't do that. In fact, what he says is this reason that I'm authenticated, the reason that you should trust me is that I suffer. Is that I'm beaten? Is that I'm shipwrecked? Because while you Corinthians and you new teachers are there snuggled in your little church in Corinth talking. I'm out in the world doing. And when I get back to Corinth, you're going to see the difference between talk and action. Paul literally practiced what he preached. Now think about how different our lives would be if we did the same. If you really did all the things that you post about on Facebook. If you took all the advice that you so freely give to everyone else in your life. Think about how much different our church would be if every person in it was practicing what we preached. Think about how much different Houston would be if every Jesus follower did what they said they should. The kingdom of God is more than talk. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, where am I all talk? God, would you meet me there? Let's pray.